welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is taken from the Annual Missions Conference. This is the evening session of Wednesday the 27th of May 2009. And here is Brother Richard Rawls. I have really, really been looking forward to this meeting. I appreciate your, uh, your faithful financial support, your prayers, and your love. And uh, I, just, uh, so, I just so appreciate you. Uh, words I cannot I cannot find the words to really fully express my love and appreciation for you I had some folk asking me just a few days ago I said uh, brother Rawls you going over there to England uh, how about those folk I said I'm gonna tell you about those folk. I said they love me they hug my neck they make me welcome and my feeling is the same for you amen I so appreciate you. And Brother Carl, thank you, thank you, thank you. That testimony so spoke to my heart. I received it with mixed emotions. Part of me wanted to just just really say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Another part of me, I felt like getting in the altar and saying, Lord, Please help me to just get up at least close to some of those testimonies and sacrificing and spending and being spent for the glory of God. I'm going to tell you, folk, time's short. I can't believe I'm 73 years old, and I used to be, you know, four years old riding around on a little red tricycle. Amen. I was as young as every one of you in here at one point. Amen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> believe it or not. Amen. But time's slipping on. And we only have one time to really make, uh, make a mark for the Lord. Only one time to make an investment for Him. And uh, I look back over my life, and I'm just speaking to you from my heart. I think about some of the foolish detours that I could have taken in my Christian life and spoiled everything. And I'm thankful that God in His mercy uh, prevented that, and prevented me from taking off in my own direction and uh, making a fool of myself and being a disgrace to the ministry and uh, instead letting me uh, invest my life for the glory of God. And I look back with no regrets, except I wish I'd given Him more. Amen. And... Uh, there's nothing on this, this side of eternity that will ever take the place of helping. And you seeing this, you personally helping somebody else come to know the Lord as their Lord and Savior. And then knowing that person for all of eternity is going to be in heaven. And you're going to have the joy and privilege of fellowshipping with them and rejoicing with them and visiting in their mansions. And the Bible bears this out. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 10, 12. Amen. In fact, Jesus encourages us to use our money to make friends, that those friends we make will receive us into everlasting habitations uh, when we've gone on from this life. And I'm looking forward to that. Amen. I really am. I don't have anything on this earth other than my wife and my family that, that I would have any regrets leaving. I'm telling you, folks, I, I don't want to leave the ministry like Paul said, not desiring to be unclothed, but to be clothed upon. And uh, again, it's here to know the Lord and good to have the privilege of serving Him. And again, Brother Carl, Carl that so spoke to my heart. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's turn our Bibles, please, to the book of Luke chapter 9. While you're turning there, does anybody have a cough drops? Anybody here? If you have a Maybe one or two of those, I'd appreciate it. Luke chapter 9. I apologize, I have a little bit of a, of a cold. Thank you, Brother Mike. That's fine, no problem. We're 
informal. In the book of Luke chapter 9, let's stand please for the reading of God's Word. I want to talk to you this evening on the heartbeat of God, and that being missions. Missions, the heartbeat of God. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. Jesus in his ministry, coming closer and closer to the time when he's going to uh, lay down his life for the sins of the whole world. And we'll pick up there in verse 51, saying, It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would help me tonight that I might speak exactly what you won't said, nothing more, nothing less. Speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray that as I'm speaking on one thing, Lord, that you would touch hearts and speak to the people, Lord, on many other things simultaneously as you alone are able to do. And I ask you, Lord, that you would make us a very profitable time that we could see more clearly your very heartbeat the heartbeat of God in missions, in reaching a lost, dying, fallen human race, and being involved, being used to help reach others. I ask you, Lord, that you do this for Jesus' sake, and in his name we pray, amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What time do I need to be finished, Pastor? I like that, Amen. I like this church anyway. You always bring the teapot. There we go. Amen. But I will be conscious of the time. Note in our text, if you would please, Scripture says, and it came to pass when he was uh, come that he should be received up, getting closer and closer to the cross when he's going to die for all of humanity. said he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And then he sends messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. Now, you remember that he went into Samaria before, the city of Samaria, and uh, there met a fallen woman, and that was by the Father's design, and uh, ended up with her getting saved. And she went into the city and said to the men, said, Come see a man that told me all that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And uh, that many came out, and uh, because of the saying the woman, they heard him, believed on him, and then they desired him that he would stay, and he stayed two more days and many more. Now, the word many, that's not a play on words, and I'm telling you, I don't know how many there was, but I'm confident there might have been some few thousand people when it was all said and done that believed on him, and uh, they got saved and they bear testimony. And later, Philip will go back to Samaria in the book of Acts chapter 8, preach a great revival, multitudes turning to the Lord. But uh, with that introduction that the Lord has already made through that woman getting saved and those many people that believe on him, you would think that now Samaria would be open to him. No doubt the word is traveled, you know, from place to place. The Messiah has come and people are saved, and the lives changed, and, you know, we found the answer. But when these Samaritans, hating the Jews as they did, and the animosity between the, the uh, Jews and the Samaritans, when they saw that Jesus was going on to Jerusalem, they would not receive him. No, you can't stay in this village. You can't stay in this place. And they turned him away. Now, James and John, upon seeing this, and... Uh, 
not being all the way uh, sanctified, if I might use the word, quote, unquote, uh, they had a, a, an earthly, fleshly reaction. It wasn't this thing of love your enemies. It's not anything resembling uh, compassion for lost people. They're offended. And they said to the Lord, Lord, and I'm paraphrasing, you see what this crowd done? They don't appreciate you. They don't appreciate the fact that you're going to die for them. They don't appreciate that you've come to be the Savior of the world. Uh, they're bent on going to hell. We don't like them anyway. Would you like for us just call fire down from heaven and consume them as Elias did? Let's just go ahead and get rid of them. You know, I mean, burn them up. Be good enough for them. And Jesus said to them, Ye know not what manner of spirit you're of. Fellas, you have totally missed it. He said, For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And he went into another village. Now, I don't think anybody here tonight would be for calling fire down uh, out of heaven to burn up villages over in Laos or Vietnam or Mexico or, you know, Canada or places like this. But uh, maybe it's somewhere in between, you know, not having a real burden and then, you know, maybe not even close to that thing want to be burned up. But uh, missions has not just hasn't really gripped your heart yet. Now, I'm not coming down on you because I'm going to tell you, folk, uh, God's placed me in this ministry, and I look back and know that for years, in fact, all of my ministry, the Lord was preparing me for this. I pastored for 12-plus years, went and spent a term on the mission field in Mexico after language school, and that was a trip, amen, language school itself. And, uh, and yet, when I was in the pastorate, I didn't have anything resembling the burden that God's given me now because I just didn't understand. I had a fellow come to me and uh, wanted to do something special for missions approaching uh, the Christmas season one year in our first pastorate. And uh, he had been in another church where he had been more wisely taught than I was able to teach him. And uh, he said, we always did something special around mission time. And he said, I personally would uh, like to give the equivalent of a week's salary to the mission program of our church and maybe challenge others to uh, give a special offering. I didn't, I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't far enough along in the Lord to pick up on that. Had a man contact me about coming preaching a mission conference. He didn't write me once. He wrote me numbers of times. I didn't ever pick up on it. And now I'm a mission conference speaker with a heartbreak, a broken heart for missions. I'm not criticizing anybody that somewhere, you know, in between where I was and where these was, you know, in that extreme position. Now let's just burn them up. Just burn them up. Blast them. Shoot an atomic bomb on them or something, you know, drop a bomb on them. These men had been going and traveling with the Lord day in and day out. I mean, for some time now they've been doing this. They're watching him in action. They're hearing him preach. They're seeing him teach. They're able to ask any question they want to. But, I mean, right there rubbing shoulders with Jesus, they've missed him. I want to ask you this evening. Have you missed it? Have you caught that burden? Has the heartbeat of God become your heartbeat? Missions? The heartbeat of God. All kind of excuses are given for not going. Preacher, we got lost people here. I don't think we ought to be sending missionaries. We get these folk around here saved. And... Uh, Listen, you'll never get all the people around here saved. Not every one of them. Amen. I never find anywhere in the Bible where everybody got saved. And if they waited and got everybody saved in Jerusalem where this all started, missions would have never gotten outside of Jerusalem. Somebody else said, Preacher, money's tight. God don't really expect me, you know, if you can only do so much. 
I think of the people that he's talked about tonight, and I see some of the things that I've seen others do and the sacrifices they've made. And by the way, nothing that we could ever do in the light of Calvary ought to be called a sacrifice anyway. But I think about some of the price these men willing to lay down their own lives. A hundred, what was 50, 150 some people that had already been incarcerated for preaching the gospel when they could just be quiet. My goodness alive. Folk, what are we doing that cost us anything toward getting the gospel out? You say, preacher, where is the missionary heart of God in the Bible? Listen, you go back. In the Old Testament, when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and, uh, you know, he saw Adam was not good to be alone, so he created the woman, and uh, then the serpent comes and beguiles Eve, and she goes to Adam, and they both eat, and the Lord comes seeking Adam. Genesis, the seed plot of the Bible. Adam is lost. He's now eaten the forbidden fruit. Eve is lost. Hey, the Lord didn't just say, well, that's what I figured you'd do. Make out the best you can. He didn't do that. The Bible said he came seeking Adam, calling, Adam, Adam, where art thou? And it was the missionary heart of God that compelled him. He knew where Adam was. But Adam needed to be faced with his sin. And upon the judgment that was pronounced on Adam and upon Eve and the serpent and the earth, along with the judgment, God promised a redeemer. And there in the very beginning, I'm telling you in the very beginning, in the very outset, in Genesis chapter 3, we see a glimpse of the missionary heart of God. You go down, start through the scriptures, and you find the Old Testament offerings that God uh, had in place, all of these. I want you to know that every single one of these offerings, they pictured this coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was the remedy for man's sins. Then you look in the scriptures, in the book of Jonah, in the Old Testament. God's desire to save people there. Uh, multiplied thousands of people that were in that city. A Gentile city, if you please. And when the word of the Lord came to Jonah to go down there, at this place was the capital of Samaria, or pardon me, Syria. And they were noted for being extremely cruel people. In fact, if my memory served me correctly, they were holding Israel in bondage and there, there have been uh, artifacts or, or archaeological reliefs that have been discovered that pictures uh, Nineveh. And you know what? They, one of the things they were noted for, they were so cruel, they were noted for skinning their captives alive. Here's an archaeological relief, for example with the king sitting on his throne, and here's the man they've captured, and they're actually cutting him down the back of his leg and pulling this, and skinning the person alive. And God speaks to Jonah and says, in effect, their sin has come up before me. Judgment's coming on them. Go down and preach to them. Jonah didn't want to go and preach to them. His attitude was the same as these folk was. It's good enough for him. I'm glad the time's come. Been left up to me. I'd have killed him a long time anyway. Long time ago anyway. He didn't want to go. He gets on a ship. Made the fair. Go to Tarsus. Somebody said, anytime you go in contrary to God's will, you'll always pay the fair. Amen. If you're in God's will, God will take care of the fair. And he gets on the ship, ends up with a great storm. God sent the storm and uh, ends up with Jonah being thrown overboard. Whale follow, swallows him. And uh, Jonah finally prays and, man, the whale, God speaks to him. The whale vomits him out and uh, Jonah hits the ground running, goes and preaches. And the Lord spared the city and made Jonah mad. I'm serious. You read in the scripture, go over in the, in the book of Jonah. And you find when, uh, when Jonah was, uh, you know, he's looking this thing over, God's sparing the city. And Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, said it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord. Listen to this. Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. 
Jonah said, I didn't want to go down and preach to them because I knew if I preached to them and they'd repent, you was going to forgive them. And he didn't want them forgiven. There's the missionary heart of God. Amen. And God spared the city of Nineveh because of his great concern and love for lost people. You look at Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, and you hear God speaking to Isaiah. Isaiah has seen God's glory, God's holiness, the seraphims with six wings, with twain he covers his face, with twain he covers his feet, and with twain he did fly. And these creatures are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I've seen the Lord. No man can look on God's face and live. And uh, he thinks he's seen too much. I'm going to die. He said, and besides that, he said, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. But upon the confession of his sin, one of the seraphims takes the tongue, gets a live coal off the altar, brings it, touches his lips. And when his sin is purged, he hears the voice of the Lord saying, and God was saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And it was God's missionary heart. Amen. That Isaiah is privileged to see. And we could go on and on. Listen, when the New Testament, when we get to the New Testament and the Lord Jesus Christ is born, God, listen now, he didn't have Jesus to be born in obscurity. God sent angels to announce his birth to the shepherds that were in the fields feeding their flocks by night. And they said unto you is born this day in the city of David, Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And said, you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. God sends a star uh, then to guide the wise men to come from the east. And then the, the wise men, when they come, they go to the king and they said, we're searching for the man that's born king of the Jews, the Christ child. And Herod said, go and search diligently until you've found him. And then come bring me word that I can worship him also. And they had the authority of the king behind them in going and searching for the Christ child. But when they found him, they opened their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They worshiped him. And then the Lord warned them to not go back to the king. And they returned another way. And uh, the Bible tells us that the Savior was spared. But God has now sent an angel or angels. He's now sent a star. The wise men have come searching him. All of these things are telling us God is concerned that the Savior be known. He has a missionary heart. I look at the ministry of John the Baptist. God sent John to announce the coming of the Savior. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And when Jesus appeared, John said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I must decrease that he might increase. And all of these things are pointing to the Savior. And I say again, manifesting the missionary heart of God. God cares for sinners. He loves sinners. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I hear the echo in the Old Testament scripture. Turn ye, turn ye, why will ye die? Hear ye, hear ye. God hath no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that he turn, that he repent. God wants people to be saved, folk. Listen, he wants them to be saved. Now, the ministry of Jesus. You know why God sent Jesus? John chapter 3 and verse 16. It's in a nutshell. Listen. For God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved, so loved, so loved the world. For a righteous man scarcely would one die, but for sinners, murderers, rapists, whoremongers, thieves, 
the people who would even curse and blaspheme the very idea of God. God knew all of the wickedness, all of the sin when he sent Jesus. But he so loved that lost sinning world, lost sinning mankind, that he made the supreme sacrifice in sending his only begotten son to die. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then Jesus, when he came on the scene preaching, listen, he did not come to give us great doctrines to preach, although he did that. And I'm not against great Bible doctrines. I'd be foolish if I even hinted or alluded that I was. I'm for great Bible preaching, and I tell you, I can get my, I love that, amen. I love great Bible preaching and teaching. But you know why Jesus came? Jesus didn't come to work miracles. And some people, you know, they, oh, man, that's the center of their ministry, miracles, miracles, you know. But Jesus didn't come to work miracles, although he did that. You know why Jesus came? Luke 19.10 puts it all in a nutshell. Jesus said, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's an echo of what Jesus said to the disciples when they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down out of heaven and consume them? Well, let me interject this. Did you note that Jesus did not say to those fellows, fellas, you don't have that kind of power? He had given them power to work miracles, power to cast out unclean spirits and so on. I believe they did have that kind of power. But Jesus said, and I say again, it's an echo of, of what Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 says. Jesus said, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus came to seek and to save. I want you to note something else, please. The saving does not take place apart from the seeking. I'm coming up to the place where we get involved. Jesus went about doing good. In the book of Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, we see in a nutshell, just a kind of a, a miniature picture of exactly what Jesus was doing in seeking to save the lost. Matthew 9, 35, he went about all the cities and villages preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing the sick, healing all manner of sickness and disease. He went to the cities. He went to the villages. He went to the small towns because we are to go into all the world ourselves and preach the gospel to every creature. He was training the disciples. He's setting the example for us as well as them and showing us that we need to do the same thing. Folk, listen, for Jesus to just live the perfect life and then die, that wasn't sufficient. The seeking, I repeat again, the seeking is involved. Even in the personal ministry of Jesus, the seeking was involved. Then note, please, you're looking in the, in the New Testament and the ministry of Jesus. And the New Testament, even following his ministry, is replete with examples of other sinners now being used to reach sinners. See, Jesus sent from God, going physically, walking, didn't have any nice means of modern transportation. With, you know, an automobile, it would run 70, 80 miles an hour, 100, 110, whatever, you know. And uh, no air conditioning. He walked virtually every single place. The only place I find he didn't walk was when he got on a boat to cross the sea on a couple of more times Another time when he rode a donkey. On the sea, the storms arose. Those were being used to teach the disciples lessons they needed to learn. But Jesus going physically, time and again, wearied with his journey, was seeking sinners. The personal contact has got to be made, preaching the gospel. Listen, folks, that's the way this be done today. And uh, so then we look in the scriptures. And we find Andrew. He's gotten hold of this thing, brother. 
I mean, it's real in his heart when he met the Messiah in John chapter 1. He went and found his brother Peter, and he brought him to Jesus. And then we see in John chapter 4, we mention the woman at the well. When she got saved, amen, she found something so good. I like what one preacher said. He kind of a country preacher. He said, praise God. When that woman met Jesus, said she left a water pot that she had to get water with and took the well home with her, amen. And she goes into the town and said, come see a man. Come see a man that told me all that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? I've said it before. The night God saved me, 17 years old, so burdened, so miserable in my sin. I'm telling you, I didn't know, I, I didn't know which direction was up, but I knew I was in need. And I knelt in the church that I got saved in in the prayer room before the service even started. And I cried out like old blind Bartimaeus sitting by the roadside begging, Oh, Lord, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And I'm going to tell you, folks, before I got that prayer finished, the mercy had already arrived. I was excited. And I knew the burden was lifted. I didn't know all that had happened. I still don't know every tiny bit of what happened. Amen. I just know I passed from death unto life. The burden of sin was lifted. I had joy unspeakable and full of glory. Went upstairs. The preacher started preaching. I reached down and got hold of the seat on each side of me. I said, man, I feel so light. I feel like I'm going to float off of here. And I'd already purposed. I said, I know I won't. But if I do, I'm heading down for the amen corner. I mean, there, amen. And, uh, about halfway through that service, halfway through that service, I started to get up and leave the church. Brother Carl, God put a burden on my heart for my lost dad, and it almost killed him. I came so close. Only God stopped it. Before I even went to church that night, the family fussed and fracas. I didn't leave the service, but when the last amen was said, I said to that little brunette I was seeing then, I said, I'll see you later, and I took off literally... I, running. I mean, I didn't go down to the church steps. I jumped off the porch two-thirds of the way home. I was still running. Obviously, I was in better shape than I am now. Amen. But uh, I had one thought uppermost in my mind. I'm going to get my daddy saved. God had given me the assurance. I'm going to see him saved. And uh, he, I, I started witnessing, started talking, started reading my Bible and showing my mother things that the, the Lord was showing me in the Bible. And my dad started preparing our family for my demise in the nearest, uh, you know, insane asylum there about 30 miles away. He said, you mark my word, six months time, he'll be in Central State Hospital. And I went. I said, I knew there was something wrong with you. I went on visitation, amen. Never as a patient. Amen. Like one preacher said, he said, he said, my life so changed the neighbors are going through my garbage to see what I'm on. Amen. I'll tell you what I'm on. I'm on something tonight. Amen. I'm on grace. You don't get it in a pill. Amen. You don't get it in a bottle. You get it from kneeling at the foot of Calvary. Hey, the woman at the well goes to get others. In the book of Mark chapter 5, there's a maniac of Gadara. Man, he's so wild. He's so chained. He's so in his sin. They tried to bind him with fetters and chains. He'd break them off. Lived in the tombs, running, screaming, crying, cutting himself with stone. No man would pass that way. I don't think I'd have gone that way either. Amen. But Jesus wasn't scared of him. Crossed the sea. Storm arose. And when he gets there, he cast the devils out of that man. So many devils in him. They spoke. They said, we know who you are. You're the Son of God. And they asked him not to cast them out in the deep, but let us go into the swine. And Jesus said, do it. And the swine ran violently down the steep, steep slope and in the sea and were choked. And the guys that were keeping them evidently ran, and they told the people in the city, and they come out there and maybe had a whole bunch more hogs. I don't know, but people in the city scared to death. They said, hey, don't stay here. You done run these fellas' business. No telling how many other business you're going to run. Hey, get out from here. And Jesus left. And this fella, now listen to this. This man wanted to go with Jesus. And Jesus said, no. But rather go home to your friends 
and tell them what great things the Lord hath done for you. And this man, the Bible says, went and published abroad. He didn't just go with his friend. Brother, he's telling everybody what Jesus did for him. You read in the Scriptures, Luke chapter 5, the man born of four. Hey, that's, see, this is the way. Get sinners. Go to the sinners. Get them. They will not come. They must be sought. They will not learn. They must be taught. When we go out these doors, we're entering a mission field. There are lost people all over the world. Broad is the road that leadeth to destruction. Many there be that go, at, go in thereat, as opposed to few that's on the narrow road to life everlasting. But uh, you look at the Great Commission. Jesus makes it very clear we're to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And then in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the coming in fullness and power of the Holy Spirit to make us witnesses. And then when the Holy Spirit came, the third in the Godhead, what did the Holy Spirit do? He gave people joy, peace, and blessing. But listen, you know the main thing the Holy Spirit was to come and do? Jesus said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is in total control. And people began mocking, saying, these guys are full of new wine. They're drunk. And Peter stands up. And he says, in effect, it's just the ninth hour of the day. He says, in effect, these fellows haven't had time to get drunk. But he said, this was that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And he preached a short sermon, if you judge it just by the length recorded. And 3,000 souls get saved. There's the missionary heartbeat of God again in action. The next chapter, Peter and John. By the way, men of diverse personalities. Peter's always outspoken. Got his foot in his mouth, you know. John reticent, kind of staying in the background. Different in their personalities. But I'm going to tell you, listen, they're united on the main cause. Full of the Holy Spirit of God. Walking in the Spirit of God. They go to the temple at the hour of prayer knowing there's going to be a lot of people there still worshiping under the Old Testament economy, and they're going seeking sinners. You know what God did? He moved the heart of Peter to be used in the healing of a lame man. This lame man sitting at the gate in the providence of God said, alms, alms, he's a beggar. And Peter, looking on him, fastening his eyes upon him, he said, silver and gold have I none. Somebody said, sound like the average Baptist preacher, amen. But such as I have, give I thee. And I'll take what Peter had over the silver and gold any time. Peter took him by the right hand, lifting him up, his feet and ankle bones receiving strength. And that man leaping up, walking and leaping and praising God and holding Peter and John. And all the folk came running together, knowing this guy, he's, man, he's crippled. He's been laid here day after day after day. Something has happened. You know what God's done? He's given Peter a divine introduction for preaching. And Peter said, why are you looking on us? As though we, by our holiness or power has given this man this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. He said, it's through Jesus and the, and the name of Jesus and faith in his name that this man is whole and he preached again. You see, God's orchestrated this. Here we see another picture of the missionary heart of God. He preaches five thousand men men I wonder how many maybe women and children in addition to the men I don't know five thousand men believed got saved that's plus the three thousand that got saved in Acts chapter 2 
Here's the fullness of the Spirit of God in action, and it's soul saved, soul saved, soul saved. God's missionary heart in action. And he's using preaching to bring it about. You're preaching of Jonah for the sparing of Nineveh. Use the preaching of Jesus seeking, I repeat, seeking to save the lost. He's now using the preaching of Peter and the preaching of Peter and here a very minimum of 8,000 people saved. I repeat, God's Holy Spirit orchestrating all of this, Jesus doing the will of the Father, reaching lost people, God's missionary heart. I somehow believe if we could get close enough to the bosom of God, and if he has a heart beating like ours, it would be saying missions, 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 missions. The disciples had been told to tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That meant when the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes, you're not to tarry there afterwards. You read that carefully. But you know what the disciples did? They're like you and I. They still haven't fully caught this vision of exactly what God wants. They're enjoying the revival, and I would have been enjoying that too. I, man, I can see people, man, getting saved every which way and folk coming around. Hey, mama just got in. Daddy too. They just got, hey, I want you to know about it. And he says, my brother just got saved. It was on. So you know what they did? They camped out in Jerusalem. But that wasn't what the Lord said to do. Amen. So you know what the Lord did? Acts chapter 4, great persecution starts on the church. Acts chapter 5, hypocrites show up. Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 6, murmuring and disputing. Fussing, bickering. Acts chapter 7, more great persecution with Saul getting turned loose on the church. Acts chapter 8, they're scattered abroad. The fellow said, uh, he, he said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God never had woke up and said, I know what to do to get this taken care of. God permitted the persecution and these problems to come to get missions underway because in Acts chapter 8, as a result of the great persecution, they were all scattered abroad except the apostles. The apostles stayed in, look at Acts chapter 1 verses, Acts chapter, pardon me, chapter 8 verses 1 through 4. And those that were scattered abroad, verse 4 said, they went everywhere preaching the gospel. Again, God's missionary heart in action working through these people. And uh, they were scattered abroad throughout all Judea, Samaria, and... Uh, a year later, we find that those people preaching everywhere they went, churches were springing up. You say, Preach, how do you know that? Because Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says, and this one year later, said, Then had the churches with an S, E S on it, no longer just the church in Jerusalem, it's now churches plural. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea, Samaria, and were edified. You say, What kind of churches were they? They not only had rest, but they were edified. This is all in verse 31. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says were multiplied. Wasn't just the churches where those fellows went. Man, those churches are bringing other churches into existence, being used to reproduce themselves, birthing other churches. And this all happened as a result of the persecution. You say, preacher, what's going on? You see, it's always been God's plan. And it's not a new plan, not something different. Missions is carried on through the preaching of God's Word. Jesus sent to seek and to save that which was lost. The disciples 
acting out on the influence, the fulfillment of God's heart and the fullness of the Holy Spirit with people getting saved and going and preaching, going and preaching, and folk being saved. And the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, listen to this. It says, For after that in wisdom, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? And the question arises, if not asked verbally in our minds time and again, well, why don't these folk in these, all these other places, why don't they just call on the Lord and get saved? And that's a good question, a valid question. Paul answers that question in verse 14 with another question. He said, how shall they believe on him or call on him in whom they've not believed? Well, that raises a question, why don't these folk just believe on the Lord? And Paul answers that with another question in verse 14. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Well, that raises a question, why don't these folk hear? Why don't they listen? And Paul answers that with another question. He said, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Why don't the preachers preach to them? Paul answers that one with a question. He said, and how shall they preach except they be sent. And that leads me to raise, ask a question tonight because Paul didn't answer that one. He just said, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel. But why don't we get involved in sending the preachers? You see, it's God's plan. It's God's plan for preachers to be sent. They in turn preach as a result of their preaching, the people hear from their hearing, they believe. As a result of their believing, they call upon the Lord and they get saved. But if the preachers are not sent, that's where it breaks down. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the lost people... Listen, they will not come. They must be sought. They don't know. They're in blindness. They're lost. The word lost means they don't know which way to turn to remedy their situation. You know, to get found. They don't, work, they don't, they don't which, which way to turn, which way to go. But if we could somehow send a preacher... Send a witness. Send a herald to cry. This is the way. Come to Jesus. They have their religions all over the world, but the religions have never satisfied. I think about a missionary named John T. Smith preaching in New Guinea. Two Muslim preachers were there at the marketplace. Hundreds, if not thousands of people gathered they both had PA systems. And these Muslim preachers said to John, said, uh, you preach first. They recognized him. He said, no. He said, fellas, you go ahead and preach first and I'll preach last. So they got up and preached out of the Koran. And then John got up and he said, now, folk, he said, uh, these men have preached from their holy book. And he said, I have my holy book, the Bible. And he said, there's one great difference. He said, my book has a helper. Their book doesn't have a helper. And he preached the gospel of God's saving grace. Went back the next Saturday. These same two Muslim preachers were there. They said, you go first. He said, no, I'll go after you, fellow dude. Go ahead. He smiled. And so they got up to preach. And they have a custom over there in that particular part of New Guinea. They pull out their bottom lip and they thump it like this. And when those Muslim preachers got up to preach, they pulled their lift out, said, thump, 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 said, no helper, no helper. Your book does not have a helper. His book has a helper. You know what those people were saying? They were saying what you said last week didn't disturb us. But what he said, his helper took it home with us and got in the bed with us. 
your book, they talk about the Holy Spirit, you see. And as the Word is preached, God's Holy Spirit conveys it. And from the simple preaching of God's Word, again and again and again and again and again and again and again, people get saved. And God set it up where you and I have a part in every single thing that happens as we're praying and giving to help send these missionaries out. Tremendous, glorious, glorious opportunity that we have. We're pleasing God in the process. People getting saved. One day heaven's going to be sweeter for all of eternity as a result of these people that we've helped to reach. But for the glory of God, we need to be doing all that we can to help tell as many as we can before our time passes off this off the scene and we have no more, no more opportunity. Let's stand, please, their heads bowed and eyes closed. I wonder if there's one or more to lift your hands and Brother Rawls. Please pray for me. I don't seem to really have the burden that I ought to have in this thing of missions. Pray with me about this. Would you slip your hand up, please? I want to kindly pray for you. Hold your hand up. God bless you. Are there others? You can take your hand down. Yes. Are there others? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would take the words spoken, use them for your glory. Help us, dear Lord, that we might, Father, have a greater burden for missions. And I pray for this one Lord who has lifted his hand. And I thank you, Lord, for this. And I pray that you'd help him, Lord, to see the reality and the joy and the blessedness of, Lord, being used to give and help send a missionary, send a preacher, send a messenger, that the pardon has been signed. The forgiveness has been granted. All you got to do is to receive it. So many people lying in darkness. The whole world lies in darkness. God help us to go and to shine as lights, living testimonies for your glory, reaching others while there's still time. In Jesus' name, for our sake we pray. Mm-hmm.